It's chaos. It's a different type of Sunday scary. It's your newest obsession. It's Dirty Driving, a Formula One podcast. We're the Hornsby sisters. I'm Katie. And I'm Megan. I am so excited for this episode. I get excited for every episode, but this one is really special because we are just days away from the United States Grand Prix. And to get ready for this incredible weekend we're about to have, we are going to have our first team deep dive into the only American-owned Formula One team that is currently on the grid. And if you don't know, that is Haas Formula One. We are going to rip down the rabbit hole of Haas's short-lived title sponsorship with Rich Energy and their scandal, debacle, disaster, dumpster fire. I don't even really know what to call that, that twist of events that went on. But yeah, we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to have our second guest on the show, my wonderful sister and the show's team principal, as we refer to her, Megan. And we are going to talk about our dream lineup for the 2022 season. And then, of course, we're going to wrap it up with a little preview for the United States Grand Prix. All right, everybody, go ahead and buckle up. Because I'm about to tell you the story of Haas, a team led by the wonderfully honest Gunther Steiner, who is always serving us the best commentary, and a team who got themselves involved in a questionable sponsorship, and a team that really just always has us questioning their future in F1. Gene Haas is the primary owner of Haas Automation, which is the largest manufacturer of machine tools in the Western world. And in 2003, after he previously sponsored Hendrick Motorsport, Haas formed his own NASCAR team, Haas CNC Racing. Six years after the formation of this NASCAR team, Gene courted Tony Stewart over as co-owner and driver which rebranded the team as Stuart Haas Racing. And they would go on to win two NASCAR titles, one in 2011 with Tony Stewart and the other in 2014 with Kevin Harvick. Haas is the first American team to compete in Formula One since the unrelated Haas Lola team that competed in 1985 and 1986. Haas Lola was managed by former McLaren boss Teddy Mayer and Carl Haas, who is not related to Gene Haas. They are headquartered in Canapolis, North Carolina with their sister NASCAR team. They do have a base in the UK that allows them for quicker turnarounds. However, I think it is really cool that we have a true Formula One base in the United States and it is hopefully here to stay. So now we need to get into how Haas joined Formula One. And Gunther Steiner, which this is something new that I've just learned, Gunther Steiner actually did a lot of convincing to Gene Haas to get them involved. And it all happened in 2014. And in the 2014 season, we saw the switch from the Red Bull dominance to Mercedes. We also saw the sad Jules Bianchi death. And we saw Haas announce that he would be entering Formula One within two years in 2016. And that was basically due to the 2014 Marusa F1 team collapse. It happened just ahead of the United States Grand Prix. And it was due to financial reasons. Like 
the reason that most F1 teams go under. So they were taken into administration, and administration is basically the British version of American bankruptcy. The Marissa F1 team were allowed to finish the 2014 season, but in 2015, it was rebranded as Maynard F1 team. And then finally, in 2016, Haas went on to take over the team. So we have Gunther Steiner and Gene Haas building this team from nothing. And it started with Haas purchasing their Oxfordshire factory, which would serve as their European base of operation. And then Haas went on to approach and acquire a chassis, the main body of the F1 car from Dallara. And Dallara is an Italian race car manufacturer who is probably best known for their chassis that they make for F2 cars. And they have continued to be the chassis manufacturer to date. Next, Haas went to Ferrari and they went to Ferrari looking for an engine and they decided that they wanted a lower cost model of the engine that they were driving. And that sparked a little controversy basically around, you know, whether or not that was a correct choice to be made by a new team. And that has been rebutted by Formula One bosses due to their desire to allow for smaller and newer teams to have a chance at entering the sport and to even be competitive or to make it at all. So we see over the next couple of years controversy around this. In 2018, we had McLaren and Force India kind of criticize Haas, the car at least, because it looked very similar to the 2017 Ferrari. And then just recently in 2021, we had Renault and McLaren resurface the issue about the whole B-team approach. And so I think there are certain teams that are nervous that Haas has become the B-team or the feeder team for Ferrari. And we kind of see that with maybe Mick Schumacher being on the team this year. I think all in all, as a sport, we have to keep the ability for small and new teams to enter. And the director of motorsports, Ross Braun, has made it pretty clear that he wants to do the same. He wants to protect potential future teams with smaller budgets and and give them the ability to be competitive in this sport. And, you know, in the next five years, maybe even the next three years, we're going to see a couple more teams enter and we'll see different sponsorships. And we want that to be able for everybody. And the reason behind that is because Teams with smaller budgets, kind of like how we talked in one of our previous episodes, really struggle. And you can see this in Drive to Survive. I know we've been talking about Drive to Survive a little bit more this week. And part of the reason why we like it so much is that it offers these behind the scene moments where you really see teams of smaller budgets like Williams and Haas struggle. You know, they've got fewer parts, they have fewer employees, they have fewer this, that. It doesn't matter it's hard. It's hard for them. It's hard for them to be competitive. And I think that's one of the best things that Drive to Survive brings to the fan base is that we see some of the tougher conversations, especially between Gunther Steiner and Gene Haas about about the struggle that it is to be a smaller team. And with struggle to be a smaller team, we also see struggle in performance. Let's start in 2016, where we actually saw some hope for Haas. It was their first year. We had drivers 
Roman Grosjean and Esteban Gutierrez. And in Australia, the first race of the season, Haas came out hot. Roman Grosjean finished sixth, scoring eight points for the team, making it the first American constructor to score points in the first race of a season. In Bahrain, we saw Grosjean finish fifth, and we really saw a struggle to score points. Grosjean scored 29 points and put Haas eighth in the Constructors' Championship. This was a good start. I mean, your first showing as a constructor and you're not in 10th, that is what we want to see. However, promising. You know, it it looked really promising, but it really went downhill from there. In 2017, we switched out Esteban Gutierrez for Kevin Magnussen. And in their first race, we qualified higher than we had ever seen in sixth. And we got a double points finish in Monaco with Grosjean in P8 and Magnussen in P10. They finished eighth in the Constructors' Championship again. And 2017 was, again, a decent year. And what it really did was it set up for 2018. And it didn't do much more than that. In 2018, we had a new car. And it was the VF18, and it was unveiled, and that was the car that led to an investigation due to the resemblance to the Ferrari of 2017. And 2018 was their best season to date. They were fifth in the Constructors' Championship, one point short of doubling their 2018 total. So we saw huge improvements. The season started out strong with a great start to the Australian race. We were in P5 and P6. Unfortunately, both cars would retire one lap after pitting due to some tire tightening issues. And it was heartbreaking to watch because it was they both DNF'd for the same reason and we hate to see that. In Austria, we saw P4 and P5, which surpasses the season total of points for Haas in their first nine races. And finally, in Singapore, we had Magnussen scoring Haas's first ever fastest lap. So 2018, it was a great year for them. It was followed by 2019, the year of rich energy, which we'll get into shortly. So stay tuned, you know, stay on. I I still want to get into that drama, but It led to a shit season, and they finished ninth in the Constructors, which was their worst finish for the team. In 2020, we saw Haas take ninth in the Constructors' Cup again. They scored three points, which is the fewest in team history. We had both drivers, Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen, announce that they would no longer be returning to the sport, and I think Haas will be most remembered in 2020 for the Grosjean incident where he walked out of the fire. And if you don't remember, he ran into Daniel Kvyat, which then led him to crash through turns three and four. The car split into two and burst into flames. Luckily, Roman Grosjean only experienced some burns and a leg injury. He was hospitalized, but remarked that the halo saved his life. So 2020 was, it was a year for Haas. It was draining. It was heartbreaking. But again, that halo was a lifesaver. And with Roman Grosjean's recovery, his retirement from F1 and his move, we were excited that he, he was able to take his past of Haas and turn it into American racing in IndyCar. With both of their drivers 
ending their careers in Formula One. We saw the 2021 season start with Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher. And after the Rich Energy stint, they took a break from having a title sponsor, but Haas brought on Eurokali as the team sponsor. And they are a Russian fertilizer company that Dmitry Mazepin is the key shareholder of, which leads you to an answer of how Nikita Mazepin got his seat. Cash is king, baby. <laughs> so their current standing is last without any points for the year. They've had a couple of great qualifying rounds, but we can definitely see that this is a result of them not spending any money on innovation for the 2021 car and focusing all of their innovation dollars on the 2022 car, which has always been the downfall to Haas is that because they don't have a lot of money they have a, a great car at the beginning of the year but then they fail and they always fall behind in the development stage of the car throughout the year which we have definitely seen this year i mean haas is a small team with a limited budget and i think they will greatly benefit from the budget caps that will continue for the next years to come and if you need more info on that, check out the episode called Let's Talk About the 2022 Season, where we talk all about the budget caps. Haas is currently seventh in its seventh year of being on the grid, and we've seen minimal success and lots of heartbreak. And as someone who's gotten into the sport at the time where they were struggling, I would have thought that they would have capitalized on that and been a little bit more successful in these past years. That leads us to our rich energy scandal. And it was so much more than a scandal. It was really this like conniving dumpster fire, which William Story, the owner of rich energy, kind of just put himself in a really poor position, which then put Haas in a really poor position. So the saga began in 2019, where Haas signed a deal to take on rich energy as a title sponsor. And Rich Energy is a British energy drink company that was founded by William Story and this unknown Austrian scientist, which is the start of the weirdness. Very little is known about the product at all, which kind of brought into question its existence. And at the launch of the 2019 Haas car, where we kind of meet William Story for the first time, he responded to questions saying that it's like saying we never walked on the moon or that Elvis is still alive. So he fully believed that rich energy was a thing. We come to find out that that might not be so true. And to fully understand how ridiculous this whole situation with rich energy was, we have to start at the beginning. And 2019 was not the first time rich energy attempted to get into Formula One. When Force India went into administration, Rich Energy attempted to make an offer to purchase the team and no one knew who the fuck they were. That would be like me showing up and saying like, hey guys, I'm here to buy Haas. No one knows who, my, who I am. And in the end, F1 basically was like, yeah, you're not a viable long-term owner. Like, where are you coming from? Where, what kind of money do you have? It's not gonna work out. So, which led to Force India being bought by Lauren Stroll, Papa Stroll, who capitalized on it with his consortium of business and purchased it and renamed it as Racing Point. After Story's failure to become a team owner, he shifted his attention to seeking a title sponsorship. 
And in 2018, Story and Rich Energy were courting Williams. And the sudden switch to Haas left everyone in a massive shock especially Williams, the team itself, because Rich Energy left Claire Williams, the current team principal at the time, and several of her senior team members waiting at an Austin restaurant the night before the race. So it's literally the night before the GP in Austin in 2018, and Claire's there ready to sign the deal with Rich Energy and William and And Williams essentially got ghosted by Rich Energy. And just days later, their partnership with Haas was announced. And let me tell you something. Claire Williams is the original woman in F1. And she was an amazing team principal and carries an amazing background to her name as a part of the Williams family in Formula One. So no one should ever ghost her, ever. So following, you know, the 2018 courting, we see the 2019 season come to fruition with Haas changing their livery to feature the black and gold colors of the energy drink. And that's when, you know, Story made the weird comments about Elvis and the moon. He also declared, Story also declared that Rich Energy had this desire to beat Red Bull on and off track. And he tweeted and would go on to like declare itself better than Red Bull after the first day of testing where they actually did outperform Red Bull. So trouble was starting to brew and getting a little ahead of himself in the world of Formula One and trouble started brewing for him when White Bikes, a third party to this story, took Rich Energy to court claiming that Rich Energy copied their stag-based logo. And Story basically lied and made up this ridiculous story. The court would go on to rule against Rich Energy, saying that Mr. Story provided different and inconsistent accounts of the development of the Rich Energy logo, which also conflicted to a large extent of the evidence of Mr. Kelly. And Mr. Kelly was Story's friend and logo designer. In addition, the court case addressed Story's lit. In addition, this court case also addressed Story's ludicrous claim that they had produced 90 million cans of this rich energy drink. And it turns out that they had actually just sold about 3 million cans in 2018, which makes no sense because it was not found in any stores. And so the result of this court case was that they had to stop using the logo So Haas had to remove it completely from the livery for the Canadian GP and Rich Energy was asked to pay white bikes level costs, which they never did, which kind of showed us that they might not have all the money that they said they were supposed to have. So it's two days before Silverstone and Rich Energy tweets while still acting as the title sponsor that it has terminated its deal with Haas and that Story called the Haas cars a milk float. After the cars retired in the race, Story then tweeted a picture of a black and gold milk float. And then here comes the craziest part. Monday, after Silverstone, documents were filed showing that Story was no longer associated with the company and that it had completely rebranded as Lightning Volt. (laughs) So it comes out of nowhere, which led to the ultimate decision In September, Haas completely cut ties without detail 
from the fallout of Silverstone. So they basically just announced it's over. They didn't go into much details about it, though. And then they go back to the Haas automation colors in 2020. So while Formula One has really never been a scandalous sport, this saga, which happened very quickly in these like a couple months of the 2019 season, it was full of like the most bizarre and twisted turns that I think we're still trying to understand. And I think it set the precedent for everyone to really take a look at who their sponsors are and who they want supporting them as as a sponsor especially a title sponsor the most important one and i've mentioned this before but we're going to get more into sponsors coming soon we'll have a formation lap episode all about them today we are being joined by our producer and my older sister, Megan. Hi everyone, so excited to be here. And before we get into our debate, which we will talk more about what we're gonna be debating, I want to ask Megan how she got into Formula One. So I guess we need to just admit that it was kind of a pandemic dive into Formula One. You came home, you came over to my apartment, I made you food. And you proceeded to talk for an hour about how great it was and then forced me to watch the first episode of Drive to Survive. And I think I immediately fell in love with it because it was easy to understand and just so different from every other sport that I previously had been interested in. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like that is kind of on on par with what everyone else has said that it's just so easy to get into and it's so interesting that you're always able to learn more i don't think we're ever going to reach like a stopping point of learning everything about f1 no i don't think so and it kind of for me balances out the data the who's winning who's in the lead why are you in what position and the actual kind of uncertainty that sports brings is that you can't actually predict the results but you can look at the the information from previous races and get a good idea of who's going to be in potentially a position to score points. Yeah, take home a podium. Yeah, I think it has also brought you and I closer together. I mean, um, obviously. Obviously, we're, <laughs> now we have a podcast together. Um, we didn't really talk to each other much like Before three this. years ago. So, yeah, it's definitely, it brings us together. I think it piques different interests in both of us. I think it allows for us to have really good conversations about it, which is why we had this idea. We've been wanting to talk about driver skills and introduce you guys a little bit more to the drivers and the team's personalities. And so we're basically going to debate. We're going to pretend we're team principals for a team that we're going to so choose based on sponsorships, based on engine contracts, based on who they are as a team and then we're going to decide our driver lineup and I think what we should do is pretend that it's going to be for 2022 with the new car yeah we just pick a lineup we like which is the one we want to have yeah the one that we would want to lead I already know I I already know too I'm intrigued to see if it's the same first I think we should ask some questions who's your favorite team Currently, I think my favorite team differs from the team I'm really interested in watching. My favorite, you know, team that I want to support constantly is obviously McLaren as I'm sitting here in my Danny Ricardo sweatshirt. First off, love him as a human. I think he is 
so fun to see is just like a person succeed. And in every interview I've ever listened to or watched, he is just so authentically him. And I really support that idea. And he's partnered with arguably the other person on the grid who is just so authentically themselves, Lando. So they're my favorite team that I'm always rooting. I get to experience the highs and, and more importantly, I experience the lows. <laughs> yeah, we are, um, we're big McLaren fans. We are McLaren stands. Yeah. Like Zach Brown oh, I is love my... That. Zach Brown, oh my God. Happy from Spider-Man. It's, He's exactly yeah, him. It's it's the best. And you know he, he collects classic cars, and I think that's so cool. He does. He does. And he regrets selling one of them. I just listened, we both just listened to the Grid Talk episode okay. with Zach Brown, and we highly suggest it. It gives you, Zach Brown's really cool as a team principal, and he still is. He owns this, like, marketing global company and he has formed a lot of the sponsorships between ferrari and big names mclaren and big names i believe he's been on a couple mercedes deals as well so it's really cool that he brings that to the sport just like you know he used to be a driver yes he did. He wanted to be a formula one driver found out he wasn't good enough to be a formula one driver but knew that he was good at sponsorships and so i just i'm a big mclaren stand yeah we are so i think are we choosing McLaren? So I said they're my favorite team, but they're they're not the team I'm most like interested in. I really think Toro Rosso is the team I'm most interested in like watching. AlphaTari. I can't believe I went with their old name. <laughs> Jeez. We've been up way too long. But no, I think they're the team that I'm most interested in watching right now. Gasly and Yuki. Yeah, I think that duo is phenomenal. You've got Pierre coming off of his Last year, redemption year, he got taken off of Red Bull, and he got put back on Alphatari, and he came back and he had redemption in Monza, just kind of like we just saw with Danny Rick in Monza. And I think he his confidence is building, and that's exactly what Yuki needs in a teammate. I think they're a fun pair to watch. They're very different driving styles, but, I mean, Yuki has amazing skills, and for a rookie year, he is, I mean defending against the best. He's defending against Verstappen and Hamilton. And then you have Pierre who just is driving, I think, the best he's ever driven. And really, I think, you know, if he had waited a little bit longer to get into F1, I think we would have seen this in his rookie year as well. I would agree. I would agree. I think what I'm excited for most about F1 is that the people who are in F1 are going to be here for a while, minus Kimi Raikkonen, who's retiring this year. And so we might get one or two new talents, but we're going to see these drivers for a while. Like, the grid's kind of locked in for a yeah. couple of years. I mean, I think it kind of depends on Alonso does in the next couple of years. I could see, you know, two not-so-great years, and he's like, I think maybe I should just stay retired. I'm interested to see what Seb does. I mean, I love Seb, so I hope he stays around for a while. And speaking of Alonso and Seb, oh, am I jumping ahead? I am, but it's okay. I say go for it. I think we should decide who we would choose between Alonzo and Seb because they are two veterans in the sport. Alonzo has two championships. Vettel has four. If we had to pick a veteran to be on our team and it was between the two of them, who do you think you would be choosing? Hands down, Sebastian. Hands down. That's not even a question in my mind um, because I think he is the right amount of on and off track personality um, I know I'm talking a lot about that, but I think this is, like, kind of the part where the sport gets interesting and, you know, you go beyond just, like, looking at the numbers and you actually look at the team partnership. And I think 
Sebastian is, first off, I think he is a good human in general. And I think in a partnership, you know, you, you do want, you know, a top dog, but you also want someone who is a good human as a veteran to be able to mentor the rookie in some way. Be the calm, cool, and collected individual who uses experience where the rookie maybe needs to see that. So I think he's the vet, he's the veteran I would want. But I mean, I think he's an amazing racer, just flat out. I think, but that comes from years of being able to like look at data, understand data, use that data to perform better. I just listened to an interview, I don't remember who it was with, they were talking about Sebastian that he has amazing race recall. Like he can be like, oh, that was like the setup in 2014. And you want a veteran who can do that to establish that for Yeah, who can mentor and who can offer guidance and all of those things that deal with becoming an F1 driver. I I think Seb has a lot of potential within him still, and we saw that with his first podium for Aston Martin this year, and then he had another podium this year. I think next year with the changes, Aston Martin – could for sure come ahead and be in that title fight for third place. And I think Sebastian's going to lead him and Lance in that. And I'm actually really excited this year about the pairing between Seb and Lance because obviously Lance's dad is in the sport. He's the owner. And I think Seb offers that that buffer almost of like, hey, I'm going to – he's just a good buffer. Yeah, between the... Yeah, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to be someone on track that you can look up to. But, like, I'm also going to be your friend and someone who's there for you off track, too. I think he probably works really well with Atmar, too. Yeah. principal. Definitely. Who I really respect. And his, like, what he brings to the sport and how he manages a team that, you know, has an owner whose son is the driver. Yeah. (laughs) Which is probably, arguably, the hardest position to be in. For some people, other than maybe, like, Gunther Steiner. <laughs> I think I might go completely out of here and choose Aston Martin as my up-and-coming team next year. Interesting. And I think I am choosing that because we just got the rebrand. We just got the partnership with Aston Martin. We're getting a brand-new home base headquarters manufacturing plant in... Do you remember where in... I think it's Milton Keynes. Okay, in Milton Keynes. My geography is. <laughs> the UK has severely gone down. Regardless, we're getting a brand new facility. I think the Stroll family, I think Papa Stroll, I think Lance bring a lot to the sport in terms of, hey, we're going to come in here. We're going to take care of you. We're going to get us to, we're gonna, like, Papa Stroll doesn't want any bullshit. No. We no, see no, that no. in the meetings. You know, he's not about that. He's here to win, just like everyone is. And I think they are going to maybe turn Aston Martin into a winning team within the next two years. I like it. Okay, so so, so what's the team you want to be a team principal of then? you got to pick one. I'm going to go McLaren because <laughs> I know. She circles back. I after, circle back. I circle back all of that. I, I thought about Aston Martin. I did. But for next year, if we're talking 2022, I'm choosing McLaren because... They haven't put a lot of money into the 2022 car. And so I'm going to focus on who my drivers are going to be. And I'm going to see how they respond to maybe a not-so-great car. Okay. I don't know if that's 
wild. I don't know if that's outland outlandish, but I want to see what they what can happen. So I have thought about this. We talked about this a couple of days ago, and my interpretation of the question in true Megan format <laughs> is to say, what is the team that maybe won't be the most winning, but will be the most interesting to? Be a team principal of, of oh, with such a unique partnership. And I really think for Are next Are you year, picking Haas? No. Okay. I'm going Williams. <laughs> oh, okay. I have this weird love of Nicholas Latifi that literally has just existed in the last, you know, week. I didn't really know much about him. <laughs> but seeing it. him throw an American football, I was like... And oh, and I have Canadian. I have to sidebar right here. This is exactly why Formula One is so fun because you, if you're a true fan, I truly believe you love every single driver on the grid. And some weekends they piss you off. Except Nikita Mazepan. And some weekends they piss you off, and some weekends you love them. And then sometimes you learn more about one of them. Like oh, haven't checked in on Sebastian for a little bit. Oh. He's out there saving the bees. He's standing up for gay marriage. He's love is love, water, rights, water human rights, rights, human rights, women's rights, women's rights, all of it. He's, he's cleaning, cleaning up. Stadiums. He's cleaning stadiums. So then it's like oh, Sebastian Vettel is my favorite driver of the week because he's just a wonderful person. And then Danny Rick takes redemption in Monza, and you're like. Danny Rick stand this week, so and then Sochi happens, and my heart is just like breaking for, for Lando. Lando, and and then I'm like I'm back to my old stand, McLaren. But no, sorry, gotta go back to Williams because I didn't finish my thought okay. and I just remembered. So I want to be their team principal, uh. and I want to be able to work with Nicholas Latifi, who has been there for a couple of years, and I don't think has shown us everything, but more importantly. I want to hang out with Alex Albon because he is oh. such a young talent and I think he is such a good human and I love his friendship with George Russell and I'm so interested to see how he does next year that it would be so awesome I think, to work with him. I think he and Nicholas Satifi are going to get along really well because of his friendship with George and he's kind of taking George's spot. I also think I might want to switch back to Aston Martin. Is that allowed? You've literally changed your mind more in well, these finally, 15 minutes. Well, you finally minutes. asked me, and I think now my answer is Aston Martin, because I see where you're going with this, and... You like my interpretation better. And I like your interpretation better, but also my drivers, I don't want them to be from a current team. I don't want to pick, because, surprise, Lando Norris is one of the drivers I'm choosing, and he's already been on McLaren. So, I'm choosing Lando Norris. I'm choosing Aston Martin, and my first driver that I'm choosing is Lando Norris. I already picked my drivers. I'm sticking with the team as it is. I want. Why not? Okay. I'm. I'm. I'm going. I've taken really my. Taken this I've taken my. Uh, my interpretation, and my second driver I want is George. You want to know why? Because you've got two young talents. You've got Lando, who has been in a McLaren team, who's been in a winning team, a consistent, a consistently winning team. You've got George Russell, who's got the talent, but doesn't have as much winning experience. And I think that duo would be phenomenal. 
And if I have to throw him on a team, I'm sticking. I guess I'll stick with Aston Martin because I would like to see Lando on a different team. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Same question, two different interpretations. Yeah, definitely. I think the one team I do what we haven't talked about. We haven't talked about Ferrari. We got to talk a little bit about Ferrari. We don't need to pick them for 2022. But part of my, I'll just say this about Ferrari. Part of my reasoning behind choosing Lando and George is that they could be the next Carlos and Charles. In the sense of like, Carlos comes in, he's got experience. It's different, but similar. He comes in, he's got experience. He's been in F1 for seven years. Then you have Charles, who's been in F1 for five years now. Five years, I believe. And he has winning experience. So you've got this like kind of fresher talent and this kind of veteran talent mingling and growing together, sometimes on separate teams and then they just came together. And they both have this, they both have winning experience. They both, I think, challenge each other. And I think I can see that with Lando and George four years down the line. I don't know. They're not my favorite. I'll be honest. I mean, Ferrari or Ferrari, Carlos and Charles. I mean, I'm happy for them. I like like them as drivers. I think they're interesting to watch. But I would. I don't think I would ever want to. I wouldn't pick them for my lineup because yeah. I think Charles is locked into a twenty a contract until 2024, which is like the longest contract in Formula One history, and I think that that's just like a lot of consistency in a market where there's so much young talent. And I mean. It's Car- this is Carlos's f- first year at Ferrari, and um, I mean, I think he's doing phenomenal, don't get me wrong, but I think they're both very limited by the car, so if next year they kind of don't pull that car together, um, it will be a, a long battle for them, and whereas I think that there are a, a lot of other teams that are really innovating and are going to be really interesting to see going forward, because there will be you know, the changes in who's behind the wheel. Yeah, I would agree. Again, I like the team dynamic. I do not like the car that they have given us the past two years. And I think 2022 for Ferrari is going to be make or break. I mean, Bonato has even come out and said that, but they're either going to have their comeback season with this new car. Or another... Or... Another struggle. Or they might fall, they might fall further in the Constructors' Cup. It'll be interesting to see. I all all reservations out on Ferrari, but yeah, that's the one team where I can be like, yeah, I I can throw them off my list of. <laughs> yeah. They're not my favorite team They're, to watch. I mean, I could also say the same about Haas. You know, like yeah, not my I mean, favorite team. But I do love a good Gunther Steiner moment. We we love a Gunther Steiner moment. We also love a Mick Schumacher moment. Um, that's pretty much all we love about Haas. We do love that they're the American team. We don't love that they're the American team either. Yeah, and I really don't like Nikita Mazepan. And that's just, you know, because I think that he is a reckless driver. And, um, I mean, learning about him made me like him a little bit more, but I think I'm really stuck on what happened off the track. Yeah. Um, And in a world where, you know, the drivers are so prominent in social media, I think that there is a responsibility for Formula One to, like, be better. And negate that behavior because by not penalizing him for that, you have now created the window for it to happen again. Well, and you diminish the work that you're doing 
in, in, in other in other terms. Terms, yeah. Yeah. You know, the big push to bring women and diversity into Formula One is diminished when Formula One doesn't... I, I, I don't even know what I'm looking... I'm not looking... I don't even know if a penalty or a what... You know, I'm proud of Haas for saying it's abhorrent, but there is this part that's like... Does he deserve to be a Formula One driver? A, repre- a representation A representation, of the sport. yeah. And I'm not saying And that, a representation of his country. Correct. So that's kind of this struggle that I don't think I would want to manage. And I don't know how easy it is to manage the relationship between someone who is so beloved by the sport, Mick Schumacher, and someone who is arguably... The most hated driver on the grid. Yeah. The, it's, the, it, it's that simple. And, and not just for what happened, you know, off the, the track. Yeah, he's had a history of... Ignoring flags. Ignoring flags, being a dangerous driver, being reckless. So <laughs> so spin, bad that there's, there's literally a Twitter, account. Twitter account that asks the question, did, did he spin? Did he spin? And it's either yes or no. We love that one. All right. So before Megan heads out, and we will definitely see her in the future, I want to ask her one final question, which is, what is your favorite moment of the 2021 season so far so it took a while some thoughts were put into this and i think that i'm gonna go with it's, it's a tie really between russell into q3 at the styrian grand prix or williams scoring points at hungary or in hungary and really i think that's truthfully because they've been wanting this for so long and they've been working um desperately to put themselves in a a winning position again and I think you know while those are small victories in comparison to you know like a Lewis and a Max weekend seeing a small team with a small budget be able to make massive strides over the last couple years is something that arguably should be celebrated more than some of these momentous moments just not saying that those momentous moments aren't just as important I'm saying you know that is the norm for you know a mercedes and a red bull and a massive victory like that is so cool to see a small team experience and that's what makes the sport different is you know an american team you know getting into the top four teams is like nothing for the season but you know for formula one like a a small victory in the terms of the sport is for some teams, ultimate result for them for that year. So yes, I'm going with Williams Q3 and Williams points this year. And yes, I am probably also now massively admitting that I'm a huge Williams stan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Megan. It was wonderful having you. She obviously continues to work on the pod, behind the scenes, which we are so thankful for. So we'll see her soon. Thank you so much. Bye, I'll talk to you soon. And the best part about everything is that this week is race week. And not only is it any other race week, but it is the United States Grand Prix in Austin, Texas at the Circuit of the Americas. I am so excited. I wish I was going. I couldn't even tell you how excited I would be. 
but the 56 lap race takes place on Sunday, October 24th. And I'm so excited, A, because we don't have to wake up early. We can sleep in a little bit over here in America. And B, I'm so excited because last year, unfortunately due to the pandemic, the USGP was canceled. And so, you know, some of us, I've been questioning whether or not it was going to happen, but we finally have some drivers in the States, so here we are. It's race week. The time zone is phenomenal, and we're it's lights out and away we go. Like It is going to be a great weekend, and I love F1 in America. And next year, we've got not only Austin, but we also have Miami. The race is held at the Circuit of the Americas. It is often referred to as COTA, C-O-T-A. I think it's so cute, COTA. And F1 held its first race here in 2012, which was the same year the track opened by American racing legend Mario Andretti, and that was on October 21st. The first F1 race at the Cota track saw Lewis Hamilton take his last win with McLaren before his move to Mercedes. And this year, Hamilton is going into Cota just six points behind Verstappen, after the bad strategy call with the tires in Istanbul, where we saw Red Bull take home P2 and P3. Valtteri Bottas is the current reigning race winner in Austin from 2019, which saw Lewis in P2 and Max in P3. With the battle for this championship still on and it's reaching its climax, who's going to take P1? I think that's obviously what we're most excited to see and it's like will it be back-to-back victories for Bottas will the driver championship flip back and forth between Lewis again it's it's hard to predict at this point which has made it such a stellar season and you know Mercedes has been strong here in the past but Checo's defense has been on fire lately what we do know is that everything is bigger in Texas and this event will not fail to be exciting. We are again coming down to the last races of the season and the most exciting part about this weekend at all is that McLaren has confirmed that Daniel Ricardo's wager with Zach Brown, the CEO, will be paid off this week and Ricardo will get to drive Dale Einhart Sr.'s 1984 Chevrolet Monte Carlo, which was the deal if Ricardo got a podium. So thank you, Monza, for the Danny Rick podium and Shuey. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Dirty Driving Pot on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, stay dirty.